Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Holtcast. Cole Petum here as always and of course there's no villa this weekend we're recording this on a saturday of course you hear this bright and early or whenever you listen to this on a monday or tuesday or whenever anyways we hope you enjoy it um it's a little bit of a kind of impromptu chat of course it's tom nightingale as well with me and we do have a different voice joining the podcast today it's not danny it's not seb it's not simon they've all decided they don't like us this weekend and haven't decided to join in just joking i don't even think we invited them but uh, if you're listening hope you're doing well guys we do have frankie from the all villa no filler podcast of course on twitter that's at villa no filler so frankie without further ado how's it going for you very well, thank you. Uh, thank you for having me on the Holtcast. It's a I've been listening to this for a long time, so it's a bit of an honour to come on and chat to you guys. Actually, um, yeah. Otherwise, I'm just recovering from watching The Northman. Very intense film. Um, I don't think I'd have lasted more than three seconds in the Viking era. That's why I learned from that film. But other than that, yeah, I'm doing well. Thanks. Well, I'm glad to hear it. At least you learned something valuable today. So, you know, a little bit of history, a little bit of self-reflection. That's just more important than anything else, I guess, on a Saturday without the villa. But uh, mm. nonetheless, Tom, how's it going for you, my friend? Yeah, not too bad. It's the uh, the sort of duality of these weird weekends without Villa, isn't it? Where on the one hand, you always miss them. They keep us hanging on, coming back from war, <laughs> four defeats in a row, give me more misery. But <laughs> yeah. on the other hand, uh, it's nice to have a bit of a mental break, I suppose. Enjoy the Easter week, long weekend without fear of uh, defensive errors and missed chances. Um, so good to take a bit of a pause, I think. Hmm. Yeah, so this is going to be a very reflective podcast, more so on the season thus far, heading into the summer, all that kind of stuff. Um, Of course, later on in the season, going into the actual summer months, we'll get into transfer bits and all that kind of stuff. Because, of course, Villa fans and every football fan likes to hear what unrealistic rumor we're linked with. Um, Will we get Condogbia somehow? It's been popped out of nowhere because he had a great performance against City. Will we somehow sign Cristiano Ronaldo because the guy down the street said so? You never know with these things, but nonetheless... Um, we're all here for that in the summer. So just a little bit of a, a few months heads up on that. But uh, I think we have about uh, four questions or so that Tom has so nicely uh, written out for us. I have just shown up to host this podcast. So that shows how prepared I am for this one. But uh, let's start with the first topic um, on this nice little session we're doing right now with it being if the season ended today, would it be a success, a failure or neither? Um, I guess we can start there and then we'll get into the next little tidbits of that question because it kind of breaks down from there. So Tom, where do you sit with that one? Yeah. I mean, I've set us up here. I'm like, cause like that's a whole podcast in itself, isn't it? That question <laughs> yes. really. Let's move <laughs> exactly. on. But, um, it's one of those, I think where like, it is a very big question, but it's one of those where context is key, right? Like I think if you wind it back to last summer, May, June, we were all hoping that we were going to have a team led by Grealish again, still out of villain. Villa fan as captain and star player, Villa fan as manager. Like I think we were, we ended last season well, feeling on the up, and then obviously all that, like the saga with Grealish early summer, and then him eventually leaving. I think we shouldn't we shouldn't underestimate even now the following April, like how big of an impact that had. Because it's not only about losing your star player; it's about your whole identity and your style of play. Right, everything pretty much went through him. Um, Summer business to get us all a bit excited. Like uh, we can maybe touch upon how we feel that summer business has turned out uh, Mm. eight months down the line or whatever. But, and then obviously with changing manager in November, like, and that's without, without even mentioning all the, all the injuries we had like early on, not being able to get a settled team for months and months. It was always going to be a really tough one. I think that, you know, hindsight's 2020, but expecting us to make this the season that we launched the sustained European push in the context of even the Grealish stuff, even before, you know, changing manager was always pie in the sky. I think really like, I think 
certainly what I hoped for from this season once it got going was we'd have a season of consolidation and secure that, you know, hopefully push up from 11th to a top half finish. Still a bit of a way to go in this season, but I'm not so sure that that is going to turn out to be the case this year. It's, it's been a frustrating one, hasn't it? Um, so you don't, you wouldn't, I wouldn't want to call it an outright failure because I don't think we've stepped backwards massively given the context of the changes at the club but it's hard to argue really that we've taken a clear step forward isn't it yeah absolutely no I I do agree with that Tom Frankie where does that sit with you because I mean you do we were saying this on a Twitter spaces me and Tom that we did um, last night for a uh, another Twitter account and I feel like it's important to kind of put everything into perspective and I'll be, I'll be, you can be kind of, I wouldn't say depressed about it. I guess it is a little <laughs> depressing, but you can be very frustrated about it. But yeah. at the same time, it, it's just as important to kind of keep that optimism and a sense of purpose and know that there is a, a long-term plan, isn't there? Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I, trying to answer that question, it's kind of as difficult as thinking, what is the meaning of life? Which for me is pretty much being disappointed by Aston Villa every second of my existence. But um, I think if, as you say, if you were to argue, you know, has this season been an underwhelming success? I guess you could think, well, you know, for the last 12 years, Villa have largely flirted with relegation, been relegated, struggled in the championship, just about got up back up through the playoffs, struggled again in the Premier League, whereas last season was a bit more of a stable season, which was unusual in our recent history. So the fact that we're not like in a relegation fight, considering that recent history is probably a little bit of an underwhelming success I would imagine the fact that we're firmly ensconced in the the much coveted race for 13th place um, and then also you know you consider all the transition you mentioned you know um, a talismanic player that the team was built around um, leaving us in the form of Anwar El Ghazi no other player I could possibly be referring to there whose surname begins with G um, you know you've got a, a new manager a very symbolic spiritual manager in the sense of Dean Smith leaving us, who was so important for us and so popular. Uh, To have him go as well and lots of new players coming in and those injuries you mentioned, Tom. um, I think the fact that Villa actually aren't in a relegation fight is actually, you could argue, is something of a, 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 a pretty underwhelming success. But I think the board, considering last season that we ended on 55 points, and it looked like we were building towards something. I think the board would might be considered this year a bit of a failure, actually, if they're to look at it in a very sort of um, black and white, more cynical way. Um, as a fan, I think I'm going to try and be more reasonable and say that I think failure is too strong a word. Um, I think being in the relegation fight would have been a failure, um, but it's certainly not been a success either. So I think I'm in the kind of like neither camp. Um, it's not a very exciting place to be. We don't eat very exciting food in the neither camp. You know, it's basically boring food covered in bovril but it's you know hopefully something to build on for next season but I think it's neither a success or a failure but it's it's not been a great season has it it's interesting you touching on the like the board because I think it's very clear that we've got a very ambitious hierarchy in place now so I I, you know Mm. they're definitely going to have had higher hopes for this season Um, but I think it's pretty clear that we're going to come back at it this summer Spend more money, trust Gerard. Because the thing is, you've got like we're at a position now where the last thing we need is more um, total upheaval. We've had enough of that, haven't we? Like the last well few years, really, but particularly the last year. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's a case of like upgrading key pieces in the squad and building forward and really, really keeping the faith, right? But um, yeah. you have to say now. I know we're only talking about the difference in a few, probably the difference in a few points and a few places in the league, and obviously when you're looking at it compared with like pushing for Europe or relegation battle, that's not really big. Um, it's not really high stakes, is it? But you'd have to say that finishing working, you know, finishing strong to the season and working our way up and finishing ninth or 10th would on a sort of just psychological level, I think feel a whole lot better than finishing 14th or 15th would. For sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's uh, uh I mean, you sit back and you, you think about the, the season so quickly, it's, it's massively frustrating, but I think again, you have to put it all into perspective. So Frankie, I'll throw this one your your way here first, and we'll get the negative out of the way, throw it in the mm. bin, and then hopefully never have to speak about it again. And then I also want to get a, a positive from you. So in regards to this season, what has been the biggest disappointment and also the, I guess you could say, the bi- biggest um, success per se? I'd say the biggest, biggest disappointment's probably been the defence, I think. Last season, our defence looked quite solid, and I thought there was a real solid basis for Villa to build on from that. This year, 
whether it's to do with the much talked about CDM role, whether it's the way we approach games, whether there's a confidence issue at the back, I'm not really sure. Um, it's hard to say, but defensively, we haven't looked as strong this season. Um, I wouldn't say any of them have really performed to the level of last year in, in the centre, at least with Martinez, particularly Concer. I think Concer's a really excellent defender and somebody who I could think could play to a really high level, not maybe as a leading defender, like a John Terry style, but somebody who maybe plays alongside someone who's leading a defence more so. Um but he's, uh, you know, he's had a couple of sloppy red cards this season and um, recent weeks he's not been playing to the level I think he can play. Every player goes for that, so I'm sure he'll come through it. Um, but, you know, I think of all the defenders who's played a bit better this season, I'd say Matty Cash. Um, so if we're to talk about successes this season, I think the emergence of Jacob Ramsey, I mean, it's always amazing to see the, um, you know, a, a, a one of your own coming through and playing so well and, for us to lose Grealish, you know, one of our own at the start of the season and Ramsey to kind of step into that void in a way um, at the age of 20 and score some of the absolutely fantastic goals he scored. Um, I, I think that's a real positive uh, for this year. He's really, it's always great to see a youth player come through like that. And um, hopefully he can build on that in the coming seasons. And if he has a stronger defence around him and he doesn't have to fulfil so many defensive duties himself and is allowed to be more expressive and forward-going, I think there's more goals and assists to come from Ramsey. Um, and, and then also, as I said, Matty Cash. Ever since he got picked from Poland, I think he's gone up a level, you know. I think he looks more confident and just more threatening. Um, and it, when we played 3-5-2 early this season, you know, the long... You know, we've all tried to put that to the back of our mind. I mean, we started well with the United win and all that, but it didn't go so well in the end. But um, I thought Cash was a player who looked really good in that formation, as show more of his attacking prowess. So I think I'd say um, Ramsey and the absolute delight on the look and look on uh, Cash's face whenever he does something well. Um, he's a man who just is so infectious with his joy. So I'd say those two have been probably a success this season. Absolutely. Tom, where does all that sit with you? Yeah, I mean, the su- success-wise, it is hard. Like, it's hard to look beyond, I think, Jacob Ramsey and Matty Cash, uh, if, you, if you're looking at it on the individual level, at least. Like, Ram- Ramsey, I think we always knew, like, there was a good, very promising footballer in there. But I mm. do, I mean, I don't know about you two, but I did not expect to see such a level from him so soon. It's mm. remarkable the way he stepped up his game. Um, I think he's one who's really, you know, I loved, I think we all love Dino. But I think Ramsey is probably the um, is, is emblematic of what Gerard brings in terms of prestige and respect from players. Like Gerard's got to be the kind of player and figure that Ra- Jacob Ramsey wants to model his game on. And I think yeah. we have seen um, we've been reaping the rewards of that. I think, like you say, only score screamers, didn't he? Um, <laughs> I do think there's a lot more to come from him. I completely agree. I'm sure we'll. I'm sure we'll. Uh, I don't think it's in the questions, but I'm sure we'll touch upon the need for a defensive midfielder more than once more ju- throughout the course of this this recording. But if we can bring in a top quality defensive midfielder, midfield screen, you know, and allow Ramsey, McGinn, those kind of players to play with a bit more freedom and you know play the way they clearly want to play then I think that's only going to be a benefit for us going forwards but I mean Ramsey's the biggest bright spot for me um by a long way because let's face it like not not to get too down in the dumps but there haven't been a huge number of them up there so you got to take them as Mm -hmm. they come but Ramsey's the kind of player like you know um gets you off your seat whether you're in the stadium or at home and makes you you know makes you f- really feel something about yeah. watching the team. Cause I think that's Absolutely. one won't look back too much, you know, too much more, but like the, we've mentioned the Grealish and the Smith era, like you, you just made your heart beat for Villa, didn't it? In a way mm. that, that I think has dropped off a little bit this season because of a mixture of results and the way that things have gone off the pitch as well. Um, but Ramsey really gets the blood pumping again, because it's just, how can you not, get behind a young lad like that who's a you know Villa fan come up through the academy system and not even just that but he's such an exciting player to watch when he especially when he's really on his game um as for the negative I agree completely about the defense especially after like having such a settled back four last year we mm. looked so solid everyone was pulling for each other and we looked really hard to breach for large portions of last season obviously not the whole season because uh we're inconsistency defined most of the time but um certainly to you know the drop-off has been um significant and concerning so that's something that's got to be addressed i don't know if it's the 
lasting impact of John Terry leaving the coaching staff. Maybe he wasn't getting the credit that he should have been getting for the defensive yeah. organization. But um, if I had to go a different way with the biggest disappointment, I would probably say looking back, like it's a whole discussion again in itself, but I think I've put it to Cole, like, have we, you know, have we Gareth bailed the Jack Grealish money, you know, in the Ooh. way that Spurs did when, you know, we got yeah. that money. Like it, that's a big question. Um, but the disappointment for me is that um, I'm not sure how much of a plan there was with those signings. Brendia was clearly targeted early. He'd been a long-term target. We moved very quickly and very decisively to get that deal done early in the summer. That was fantastic. Um, Ings and Bailey, I think, were quite reactionary signings, I have to say. Um, and then the disappointment, obviously, is that you look you look now six weeks from the end of the season or whatever it is less. Um, how many of those three big money signings can you really look at and say they've been an I don't think any of them have been an unqualified success. Yeah. I think Ings is probably the one that you'd look at the most and say he's been a, a qualified limited success because he has pitched in with some numbers despite not playing every game. Bailey shown shown that he has an explosive side to him, but unfortunately the explosion is his hamstring popping, isn't it, most of the time? So <laughs> yeah. um, I do think there's, there's definitely a good player in there, but he was signed for a different manager and for a system where we played with out-and-out wingers. Like, you do wonder what his future holds at Villa moving forward. And then the most frustrating one for me is Emi Buendia, because from what I've seen, he's really grown into... He'd really grown into his role, I think, taking on that the, the bulk of the creative responsibility... I think he'd really grown into it. You know, he's getting a look in at Argentina, which is fantastic alongside Martinez. Um, and it got to a point where I thought he was our most um, decisive, I guess, in terms of a decisive factor on the pitch, our most decisive and our most reliable attacking player. And then obviously the problem is, it's like we're all absolutely thrilled to have Philippe Coutinho at the club let's get that right I'm not in any way trying to suggest that it's not fantastic to have a world world-class player like Coutinho in the team but the biggest the, the real biggest negative of that has been that Buendia can't really get a look in now gets 20 minutes mm. here 20 minutes there and most of the time when he comes off the bench in my opinion at least he looks like our best player he's come on come off the bench and set up a couple of goals like makes makes things happen I also love he gets stuck in because I don't think we've got, we haven't got too many of those players. I don't think really, this is another separate discussion, but you know, Mings and McGinn players that like to put themselves about. And so does Brendier. Um, He's somebody that I'd love to see us incorporate into the starting lineup on a regular basis, but it's become a question of, you know, it's become kind of the forgotten man in a mm -hmm. way. And it's like, how do you, especially when you have a world-class player like Coutinho and you're currently sat in 14th in the Premier League and you're trying to get that world-class player to sign permanently for you at the end of the season, like it's very hard to drop a player like that, even if you wanted to. So what is Emi Buendia's path back into the team? You know, so like if you go and if you're looking at it through that lens, last summer's transfer business doesn't doesn't look too sharp, I would say, um, in, in April 2022. No, not at all. And uh, you, you kind of took my biggest disappointment. So I'll, I'll incorporate that, incorporate it slightly. But I think for me, uh, just quickly, I think it's a, a lack of identity. And of course, we can all say we kind of lost that when Jack Grealish left. There we go. It's brought up once again. Mm -hmm. um, and I felt like when we could have pivoted, the club really didn't, like Tom said, with the reactionary signings of Ings and Bailey. Um, I feel like regardless if Grealish stayed or if he left, we didn't address the actual positions that we need to, to really address. Of course, the defensive midfield position. And I felt like we could have strengthened some other areas a little bit more so than where we did strengthen. And I do have that general fear now kind of going into it. If we're going for, I guess you could, well, Coutinho is a, a pure talent. He's also a big name. So I guess my main concern there is I'm not, we're not just going for big names because I mean, look at Everton kind of where they are. I think that's kind of a practice of what you shouldn't do, but uh, yeah. regardless of that, I guess if I go into the big, biggest success um, to be a little bit different, I would say probably the whole Academy in its entirety. I mean, when's the last time Villa have had a structure within the Academy like this. Yeah. And the fact oh, yeah. that if Villa aren't playing, you can see so many products out there um, and prospects, I should say, more so than anything, whether it's Kessler at MK Dons or Barry at Swindon. I mean, the list goes on and on. And it's so exciting to see uh, them on social media or the clubs they're at kind of 
just absolutely beaming with pride to have them there. And I, I think that's the one thing because st- stability at the football club has been a massive issue for as long as I've at least been a fan. And I feel like with that, it's allowing the club not only to grow from a kind of a, a youth standpoint, but just kind of an overall standpoint, it helps out in all things. You know what, if Louis Barry doesn't work out in the Premier League, but he's a, ends up being a decent championship player, maybe there's 5 million or something like that. Yeah. You never really know there. You're buying these players for maybe minimal fees, if nothing at all, really, in terms of Premier League money. So I think it's a it's a smart business model, but uh, let's go on to the next question because I know we have a few more to get through, and I'm sure some of these will spark quite the debate. So um, I'm actually going to skip ahead from uh, question two that Tom has so nicely written to question three, and we'll we'll leave that one maybe to the very end because it's probably the most uh, relevant thing coming up in terms of uh, Villa's schedule. So. The next one here for Tom that I'll, I'll give him his own question first is scrutinizing Jared after five months fair. And for me, it's kind of funny to even think he's been here for five months. It feels like he's been here for five minutes, but yeah. uh, nonetheless, Tom, take it away. Is that thing? I'm seeing a big debate raging or where it's people seem to be suggesting that you either blame the players or you blame the manager for poor runs of, you know, our poor run of form and, the fact that we haven't kicked on, like obviously as with most things, the truth is somewhere in the middle, I think. But um, I think most of the concerns that most fans had at the time that we appointed Gerard was like, not to put the dampener on Scottish football or anything, because he, he obviously it does give you a certain, a certain level of useful and relevant experience. Um, But my main concern with him is that, you know, he's, he's never, Gerard's never faced, I think in his managerial career, the kind of thing that he's facing now, which is having to galvanize a squad from what must be virtually zero confidence. Let's be honest right now. Um, it's a, it's a real new, it's a really new challenge for him. And like, like, like anybody bringing new players in and asking them to gel with a squad or whatever it is like, he's, he's on a real learning curve here, him, him and his coaching staff. And so as with everything, like, patience and time will be key but I do think it's I do think it's fair to be asking questions of him like I'm seeing certain things in recent weeks that I'm finding a little bit concerning from him like the uh, lack of proactivity in substitutions to change the game I feel like he sit he has got a bit of a tendency to sit on his hands sometimes when you feel like you know making a particular switch whether it's yeah. um, you know whether it's bringing Brendia on and taking one of the two strikers off if they're both playing up front or, you know, whatever it may be. Um, good managers find way to win games from, you know, when the chips are down. And I don't really think we've seen that from him that much. It's something that, you know, I guess that he has to learn. And I know that he, he, he we, a fair point is that these aren't his players. I get that. But that excuse can only take you so far, I think. I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's his, it's the job of him and his staff to get the best out of the players that we have at the team. And like these days, you know, we're talking about Matty Cash, Poland, Emi Buendia getting in Argentina looking like we're a team full of internationals at high level as well. Like you can't, you can't tell me that we can't be getting a higher level out of the players that we are able to put on the pitch at the moment. Like we should be getting more from them. And at the end of the day, I do think that has to, that at least part of the responsibility of that has to lie with Gerard. And like, again, I don't want to get too much into the, the black and white world of social media fandom, where if you criticize somebody, it means that you don't want them at the club. Like we've mentioned earlier, Esri Concer's dip in form. Don't think any of us are suggesting that we cash in and sell Esri Concer in the summer. Um, But it's also been fair. You know, if it's fair to criticize Esri Concer's form, it's fair to criticize the things that Steven Gerrard is maybe not doing that well. And like, you know, things like after defeats coming out and, maybe not quite calling out players. It's not like he names specific names, but, you know, in, in no uncertain terms, he said a couple of times now, these players need to be giving me more. Like they need to look at themselves and they need to be putting in better performances. And on the one hand, yeah, that's fair. But then he has a bit of a habit of then going out and picking the same 11 players again the following <laughs> week. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you, you know, we're in a position now, Villa, where that we haven't been in for... 10 years maybe in many ways, but the way I'm talking about at the moment is having depth from the bench. Like you look at our bench in recent weeks, Morgan Sanson on the bench, Bertrand Traore on the bench, Leon Bailey on the bench. Uh, who am I missing? Loads. You know, we've got pretty much fully, now that Nakamba's back as well, we're pretty much full strength. Like 
the tools are available to him to rotate a little bit. And I'm sure we'll get onto this, but it's something I'd like to see in the coming weeks. And I think it could be a real chance for Gerard to earn his mettle a bit more as a coach in the next few weeks by showing that he's not afraid to tinker and find systems that work better. I feel like when we haven't, he hasn't proven so far to be that good at setting up on a game by game basis for the specific opponent. I feel like he knows a way that he wants to play and he has his, maybe, I don't, you know, I don't want to cry favorites, but he does seem to have some players who he doesn't seem intent on dropping ever. Mm. Um, and in a way that's good. You want to have faith in your players, but you don't want to be too limited in that faith. Do you really? Like, I think it's time for him to show that he's not afraid to make some, make some big calls really. Yeah, no, hundred percent Tom. I do agree with you. And I think Frankie, it's important to kind of remember as well. Uh, the football club has decided to go in a direction with, a manager that's still very, very young, very yeah. inexperienced in some aspects as well. And you know what? You'd have to say this side right now is showing some inexperiences in different ways as well and how they kind of handle some of the advers- adversity, I should say. But uh, where does the whole kind of um, stuff around Steven Gerrard sit with you? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's too early to, you know, assess some of his um his approach, you know, considering, you know, Frank de Boer was sat by Crystal Palace after four games, I think it was. We live in a world where managers can lose their job very quickly. Um, but I think that, you know, there have been some positive signs from Gerard. I think particularly at the start, I think that the, um, you know, the wins we had against Leicester and Brighton and Nakamba was a really crucial part of some of that good early form. You know, we played really well against City and Liverpool, lost both annoyingly, but really put up a good fight against the two world's two best teams probably. Um, so I think Nakamba was quite a big part of that. And I'd like to see an alternate world where Nakamba hadn't got injured and see whether that would have made much of a difference. I do think having an out and out CDM, I don't think it would solve all our issues at all, but I certainly think we'd be better off um, and be able to be more expressive in the, in, with McGinn and Ramsey and Douglas Louise as well, being able to play further forward in his better role. Um, so uh, yeah, I think that's been a big loss for us, but um Ultimately, as well, I think, yeah, there are games where, you know, he, he'll the narrow approach, I think, is better for Villa. I think our Crystal Palace away win is the game to me that always sticks out as where that approach really worked. Um, and I think we've looked better playing like that, um, narrow in midfield at least. Uh, but then there are other games where teams will just whack us on the wing. And it's like we haven't really prepared for that. Um, so as you say, I think that touches on what Tom mentioned about, you know, is his approach to different games or different sides does he stick to one formula? Sometimes I think maybe he does, yeah. Um, but it kind of felt like he'd maybe hit a good formula in the sense like with Ings and Watkins playing together. Now, I'd written that partnership off, but the three wins we had in a row with Southampton and, you know, Leeds, you know, those two players coming out wide, creating width, it kind of worked for us. Um, it was looking okay. And it's, you know, I think Ings has got injured and it's, it's sort of fallen off again a bit. So, you know, first half against Tottenham, um, we, we had a lot of chances if we'd taken one. You never know how that game could have gone. But then, you know, leaving ourselves so exposed on the counter, I think you could say is a combination of player naivety and managerial naivety. Um, so I'd say, you know, he showed sign at Rangers that he can learn from mistakes and he got far better in the second season. And I know the Scottish League is a totally different experience managing Rangers to Villa. Villa is a, is a harder job than Rangers, let's face it, I think. Um, some might argue against that. But, uh you know, uh, at the same time, Rangers hadn't won anything for nine years. And then the second season, to, to concede only 12 goals or whatever it was and to win, go unbeaten the entire season, it is really impressive. That's a really amazing performance. And the performances in Europe were really excellent as well. So I think we can say, like, all right, let's give him a chance when, you know, he can sign some of his own players. Yes, I think he could probably be getting more out of this squad, though. You could also say Dean Smith wasn't really able to either. Um, but... Uh, you know, I think let, let's let's see kind of how it goes this summer and see where we're at in the first few months of next season. Um, and then hopefully we can get a better steer of exactly where it is we're going under Gerard. But there have been some positive signs as well as things that I think hopefully he'll learn from as he did at Rangers uh, in next season. Yeah, I, I do think like I do think that we'll get we'll be better next season than we are this season. I'm mm. I'm fully expecting that. I think then if if that's not the case, obviously the questions get sterner, don't they? Like if yeah, we get to completely. November, December time, certainly, and there's no discernible improvement. But I would agree that he does seem to, he, do, he does seem to be a quick learner in some, in some regards. Um, and I have a lot of faith. I do think we're generally 
better under Gerard and his coaching staff than we were before they arrived. I think we've so taken well, overall, yeah. I think we've taken step for steps forward. And like you say, like the Nakamba injury was a really big deal because then through no fault of Gerard's own, really, okay, you could say we should have got a central defense midfielder in January, but like where, who, mm. you know, yeah. in, in the January market. So then suddenly he's shorn of the player that was, I think it's fair to say our most important midfielder, Nakamba had been had become to the system that we were playing, allowed the fullbacks to get forward, knowing that they were covered, and you know allowed Ramsey and McGinn to play with a bit more freedom, and then through no fault of his own, Gerard suddenly has to try and shoehorn first Douglas Louise into that role, and that didn't go particularly well, as you wouldn't necessarily expect it to. John McGinn's been burdened with a lot more defensive responsibility than you'd like yeah. to see, so I would agree that. You know, signing uh, as long as we get the profile and the you know the recruitment side of it right, signing a defensive midfielder is going to go a long way in the summer, I think. Um, and you know, next season, you know, like we say, we've got there's no choice. Even if we wanted that to be a choice, there's no choice other than to back Gerard, which we're perfectly happy doing. And then, I, I, but I think it'd be fair. It's fair to expect a discernible improvement next year. Yeah, and like to be honest, I don't even know if we've seen the formation tactical kind of. Um, way that Gerard even wants to play per se like it, it's been such a weird season since he's really well it's been a weird season in general but um, I, I think there's so many changes that we might not even expect in the summer but the one thing that I'll give him a lot of slack on and sometimes right after a match if we lose maybe I'm a little frustrated with him and of course the players but after some time when you calm down you have to sit back and think okay like things are a process and all that but the one thing i'll give him probably the biggest plot it was was in january coming in not too really long before that having not much time and being being able to pull off the moves he did and not necessarily just to buy a defensive midfielder for however odd crazy amount just because we needed one and i mean i don't know how many times in the past villa have been desperate and just bought in players for the sake of it and thinking they're going to fix it. And I, I, I mean, not everyone would know. I wouldn't know. I'm, I'm assuming none of us would know what the behind scenes process really were, but at the end of the day, I think he does deserve some plaudits there. Cause he could have went in and kicking and screaming and saying, this is what I need. I need this 50 million pound player or whatever to fill this gap. And then it'd just be a complete failure. And if the deal wasn't there, the deal wasn't there. So I think it has to kind of uh, be a, a positive notion from him and from the club as well, that we're not going yeah. just absolutely desperate, but um, as, as painful as it's been to watch sometimes without, yeah. order, I think in terms of the long-term decision, it was the right thing to not jump with both feet into the January market. Yeah. But and then it, of course it just means that on the flip side, like, the pressure's really on for them to get it right this summer, you know, because if yeah, we don't, if we don't nail that signing this summer, then it's going to be very hard to take a significant step forward. Yeah. It still makes me laugh the whole James Ward Prowse link in the summer. And I'm thinking, well, he's not really a true DM anyway. So I don't, I still don't understand how that would have fixed any true issue, to be honest, um, aside from maybe a, a bunch of uh, set piece goals from free kicks. But uh <laughs> I mean, that would be very nice because we cannot take a free kick. It seems like to save our life. I can't remember the last time we honestly scored from one. It feels like I can it's remember been a while. Buendia scored that header at Goodison Park from the corner. And that's the yeah. only one I can bring to mind, I think. Yeah. But then you have like Dougie Louise taking all your free kicks and you're thinking, why yeah. the hell is this good, the scenario? It must be good in training. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I feel like that's been Villa since we've been promoted. You, you, you sit back and you look and you think like, how the hell are some of these guys playing week in week out like they must be like prime like r9 ronaldo or something out there that we're just not <laughs> seeing like i can remember so many people saying that about al ghazi but i think we already know uh where his fate's going especially in the summer and to be honest i do feel bad with the scenario he's in at everton because he's not yeah. really playing all that much but uh nonetheless it is what it is so let's go to the next question here uh with little meaningful to play for what do you want for the rest of the season could it be rotation uh featuring more youth team players tactical tweaks uh frankie i'll, I'll send this your way so take it away sir well we've got burnley twice norwich palace oh palace are in good form I'd like to see us pick up some more wins i know that's a very simplistic response but you know um sometimes a a team ends a season badly and it carries over to the following season. You know, when we got relegated, the season before we ended that season losing 6-1 at Southampton 
with the Sadio Mane two-minute hat-trick and the 4-0 FA Cup finals for Arsenal. And it just suggests to you, like, this team ain't in a good place. And I think if Villa go on, you know, start losing games, Norwich or Burnley or things like that, and end the season badly, that you know, what message does that say to players that potentially want to sign this summer? You know, are we in a good place under Gerard? I think it's actually quite key that we end the season pretty well. So I'd like us to start, you know, um, with the strongest 11 we can actually um, and just pick up as many points as we can before the end of the season um, with giving us something to sort of build on then. Um, as far as like um, players coming in and maybe featuring, I think I'd like to see like a Robinum, not necessarily starting, he's very young and it's a tough role to just suddenly be thrown into. But uh, some, certainly to get minutes kind of in the way that Carney Chukameka and Jaden Philogene Bidace did at the end of last season. So he played at Brighton away, I think, for about 10 minutes or so. Maybe a few things like that for Aerobinum, at least getting some game time. And maybe one other youth player, I think O'Reilly maybe, is, is on the bench quite a bit at the moment. Um, maybe just see him get a bit of experience. And I would have argued for Carney Chukameka to start games, but I have a feeling he's off in the summer. So I'm not really too fussed whether he features or not now, really. I'm, I'm not convinced he's staying, and which is a shame, but, you know, the, the world moves on. Um, as for tactical tweaks, yeah, maybe he could um, experiment with a couple of things. Maybe he could feature two wingers in a game with Bailey and um, Tricky Triore. I call him Tricky Triore. <laughs> uh, so, uh, so, yeah, I call him Tricky. Um, have those two as wingers, maybe just try if that formation works for him. But I think he does have his style that he wants to go for, so... Um, I doubt there'll be too many tactical adjustments really towards the end of the season. And I think Ings and Watkins, if they're both fit, considering that we won three games in a row with that, I think he might go with that, uh, with Coutinho in the middle. Um, and unfortunately, that might mean Buendia doesn't get as much game time as we might like. But uh, but yeah, we have to get as many points as we can, I think, before the season ends. Because as a, you know, finishing 15th or 16th, a team like Everton maybe catching us, I think that'd be a really disappointing way to end the season. Yeah, Tri- or, uh, I was going to call Tom Triore. I almost mixed that up. Tom, what do you call Triore? <laughs> uh, I, I, I call him. I call him chaos most of the time because it's either it's either positive chaos or negative chaos. Um, last season it was a lot of positive chaos, nutmegs and silky goals, <laughs> and this season it's been more uh, errant passes and first touches that travel five yards. <laughs> mm. So. Um, yeah, it's. I mean, it's a fair point about you know finishing the season strongly. You say you know you say it's a simplistic way of looking at it, but it it I agree completely. And it's one of the it's, it is one of the frustrating things about the way that this season has gone. Is I feel like we finished last season really strongly, right? Beating Spurs, mm, yeah. beating Chelsea, and there was and then you know heading into the Euros with our captain and talisman going there, hopefully playing games for England. Like there was a real way we finished with a real wave of confidence last year, and yeah. then so to see that that bubble burst quite so dramatically um has been a real shame but i i agree like i know we said at the uh, the top of this chat that there's not much meaningful difference between finishing maybe 10th and finishing 15th but like psychologically it's a it's a big thing i think because like you say you know gerard's pulling power has been evident already, right? With Coutinho, obviously, even Luca Dina, I'm not sure we'd have made that signing if Dean Smith had still been in charge, really. Um, mm. So that pulling power is there, and that's great for the summer, but that has a lot more power if you're a 10th place team than if you're a 15th place team, no matter who's in charge, right? So yeah. um, in terms of personnel or whatever, what I just want to see, which I think we will see, is I'm desperate to see... There's all this talk about a defence midfielder coming in and fixing, like we said, not all problems because we're not that naive, but fixing some of the problems at least. I want to see a, a, a dummy run of that for the rest of this season. Get Nakamba. Yeah. It sounds like Nakamba's pretty much full, pretty much fully fit now. Obviously, it's a long road back from injuries like that. Might take him away, take him some time to get into form, which obviously isn't ideal because there's not that many games left. But I'd like, I want to see Nakamba back on the pitch at the base of the midfield, and I want. Villa and Gerard to prove to me that having a solid midfield screen is going to make a difference because it was like you say before Nakamba got injured it was a key part of our play and it was allowing people to go forward get more creative get more adventurous whether it's wing backs or other central midfielders you know 
I want to see that again. It was exciting, wasn't it? I yeah. feel like we haven't really had much to get excited about other than the odd Jacob Ramsey wonder goal <laughs> or Cameron Archer scoring for Preston. It's been about it, <laughs> yeah, isn't yeah. it really? Like, um, so I want to see... And it's it's interesting. It's sort of a funny thing to say because obviously Marvellous Nakamba himself, you wouldn't call him an exciting player. But I think that bringing him back into the starting eleven is a route for us to become a more exciting team again because it's going to mm-hmm. allow people to get play with the shackles off a bit more. So that's the thing I want to see the most is um, let's prove that we can get back to that and we can start playing that way. And then, it, you know, we're going to, the coaching staff and, and the owners are going to want to upgrade at defence midfielder, even if Nakamba plays really well now for the remaining however many games it is, seven or eight games, seven games. Um, we're still going to upgrade at defence midfield, but then Nakamba's definitely going to be here next year, barring something really unforeseen. And then you, suddenly you've got two really solid if we got to go into next season with two really solid defensive midfield options either you've got a great rotation there or you know you can it opens up the possibility of playing the double pivot like west that west mm. ham have had so much success yes. with with rice and socek like we haven't had that solid foundation at all this year apart from the two or three month period where nakamba was playing is in the form of his career you know before he got injured um so that's really what i want to see and then also a bit of more experimentation I don't, in front of the defence midfield spot wouldn't go amiss for me. I think like um, we'll, we'll throw we'll throw it ahead to Leicester at the you know at the end of this episode. But if the lineup comes out you know next Saturday and Nakamba's in the team, maybe even Morgan Sanson's also in the midfield, and somebody like McGinn gets the rest. Even if Chambers comes in for concert, I wouldn't be averse to any of those changes to be honest because. Yeah it's that definition of madness, right? How long do you stick with something that's clearly not been working now, really when the, the, the only, the, the only stakes are the difference between ninth at best and hopefully 16th, 15th, 16th at worst, like it's a good time to try that stuff out. I think so. I would like to see that a little, you know, a little bit more, get some players playing for their futures, you know? Yeah. And of course we've seen Nakamba getting some game time behind the scenes as well. So I, I think that's important if you can kind of, gain so much on that i still find it hilarious like i mean if probably each and every one of us listening and of, of course us three chatting about it we're listening to us kind of talk about nakamba as uh, <laughs> this one true hope about two years ago we'd probably yeah. think we're all drunk but regardless <laughs> um it's uh it, it is funny to reflect upon but it also shows the growth and uh i guess kind of uh his own belief in himself to stick around and really stick it out and see if he can actually insert himself in and I'm never going to say he's the missing link because I think there's still so much work to be done in this side. But I think if you bring Nakama back in, I would love to see Dougie Louise move a little bit further up the pitch yeah, because I think it completely. was the 2-1 City loss where I thought that was probably his best game in a Villa shirt I've seen in probably of all time, to be honest. He basically ran that midfield. And uh, I, I mean, of course, it's a former side and he has some kind of impetus to uh, really kind of dig in there and show Pep what he's kind of missing out on, of course. But I mean, I think you get him further up the pitch. I don't know, you know what, if you give him a run of games there, maybe it kind of changes his mind a little bit, of course. And like Tom said, with Sanson as well, I, I don't know. Like, I, I love Jacob Ramsey, but I wouldn't also be amiss if we're trying things out to give maybe him a game of uh, a rest during a game as well. Because uh, to be honest, I feel like at times he's looking a little um, tired at certain points in the game but regardless he does have a a lot of minutes under his young legs already so you don't want to wear those out too but uh, it's funny how again it all comes down to the midfield with everybody so hopefully (laughs) that actually gets solved this summer but uh, yeah I think aside from that really I just kind of sit back and I look at the whole kind of wider view and I think of course you want to experiment with younger players. And I feel like the last time I said that was when we got relegated and everyone just wanted to see the youth team basically play. So a uh, shout out to Jordan Lydon and all those um, young villains at the time that never had any future. And we thought <laughs> would, but uh, regardless of that, let's uh, you know what, let's start looking ahead to Lester here briefly, uh, briefly before we wrap things up, because I do think we're basically touching upon it now already, but nonetheless, we can kind of uh, turn that and look ahead to next weekend because, I mean, Leicester are almost, I think, fully healthy now, basically, and they're in good form. Of course, they're in the semifinals of the Conference League, I believe, as of time of recording. So they're kind of 
going in with a lot of confidence. Of course, they still have to play this weekend, so you never know with that, but they have a lot of games coming up in quick succession, so maybe this is the time for Villa to capitalize on that. But, uh, Tom, where does this sit with you, and do you expect any kind of changes from a Villa standpoint? Yeah, I do think there'll be changes. I think... um... I like I said, I hope Nakamba comes back in. I think it's I think it's maybe not very likely, but I think it's certainly relatively likely that that'll happen. I don't understand if he was on the bench again, but um I kind of hope that we see him in the in the starting eleven, really. Um that'd be the one change for me. Maybe even, you know, it's difficult because we've had a break. If we hadn't have had a break, I'd have said I think it's I'd prefer to see Chambers come in for concert. But now that we've had the break, you know, maybe he's had enough time to sort of blow the cobwebs away from that poor run of form. And, you know, at the end of the day, as, we, as we've said already, he is a quality defender. So um, that might not, you know, that might not happen. Um, I would like to see Ings and Watkins together again. Let's try and get that partnership firing uh, for the last few games. Um, but Leicester, I'm looking at, you know, they're a difficult team to play, but they're, it's it's weird with them because it's sort of a double-edged sword because they've played, I think, three or even maybe four times since we since we last played, or they will have played because they've played both legs of their semi-final, haven't they, since we've last played, I think, plus at least one league game. And I think they played on the Sunday when we played on the Saturday. So I think they've played four games since we last, since we last were in action, which obviously can go either way, right? Either they're going to be carrying a lot of fatigue and a bit of maybe a bit of a European hangover still, or, you know, they, they, they've got the momentum going. Um, they're a team that we know we can beat. I'd like to see us um, make a couple of those tweaks, shore up the midfield, preferably with Nakamba, and then try and really get at them, try and start causing teams problems again. Cause we've gone, we've reverted, haven't we, to that old soft touch Villa. Mm. just slice through our midfield at will you know do yeah. whatever you want really it's been been a bit too much of that recent weeks um any do we know what's going on with luca dina i did, you know, I've, I've lost track no, really of where he's heard, at i haven't heard we anything have, i don't it's know it's so weird we haven't had a we haven't had a definitive update i don't think still i looked, looked that up before this and i couldn't work out what was going on with him no. you know I've, obviously i hope that he's you know i think we all hope that he's fit and in the team because it it, it does reduce our threat significantly going forward down the left um, and also I think he's looked pretty solid defensively um, so I hope he's fit to play again um, if he's not then it's going to be you know it's going to be young at left back uh, who's proven it I think he's proven himself like a pretty able deputy but also it, it shows that he's 36 years old or whatever at mm. times you know like Man City today uh, or went at the time of recording played Liverpool and you could see Fernandinho's age 36 and starting to get the legs and I think that's we've seen a bit of that from young as well um but yeah I mean just get like just get out of them and try and the break hopefully this time came at a good time we've had a lot of we've had a I think that was our fourth weekend off I think in 2020 just in 2022 with FA Cup weekends and internationals and stuff it's been very stop start which I think is another factor of, of how our season has gone not being able to build up any real momentum or get into that rhythm um Got an unbroken run now. Games coming thick and fast. Let's just try and build up some momentum, finish strongly. Um, um, starting with the Leicester game because they're by no means unbeatable. Um, just try and get try and get some of the good times back. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the thing here, I was just looking at the the Leicester schedule, of course. So they would have played on Thursday, and of course they beat PSV two uh, one in the second leg of that quarterfinal. So they'll move on, of course, to the semis and i can't remember who they're actually against but regardless it doesn't matter at this point in time oh it's roma actually as i look at it i use my eyes um anyways they of course they have newcastle on the sunday that'll already happen by the time everyone hears this and then on the wednesday they have everton away us on the saturday then on the thursday they have i think roma at home and then spurs on may 1st and then four days later they have roma again away and then three fun, days yeah. later, they have Everton at home. So bad, and it's price of success, I suppose. Yeah. But and like, wow. as much as you look at their schedule and their squad, or I mean, I should really say their squad, um, it's not really the deepest. They do have some very fantastic players that I'm sure many Villa fans would love, and you could list off a bunch of them. But uh, with when you have that many players that just came back from injury or whatever kind of circumstances, that's a that's a lot of minutes under some legs that really haven't uh, been too familiar to that this season. So I guess, Frankie, to spin it to you a little bit differently, I mean, 
<laughs> I mean, we could be looking at this. They've beaten Newcastle easily. Of course, they've maybe beat Everton at that point with relative ease, I guess I could say. And now they're coming in with even hotter form. So maybe that makes us feel even less confident, but uh, it's probably a good time to play them with so many games coming thick and fast for them as well, isn't it? I think so. Um, I mean, you could, you could, maybe they might be even sharper than us if they've been playing more games in recent time. But I think that is a that is a big fixture load for them. And you hear managers constantly complaining about fixture lists. So clearly it has uh, an effect upon the team and players mentally and physically. Um, and, you know, I think Villa-Leicester, it's, um, it's actually, for neutrals, probably quite a good game to watch in recent times, apart from the season where they beat us 4-0 and 4-1. But other than that, you know, <laughs> like the sem- I think of the semi-finals and I think of the game this year. Um, it's, you know, with... With two teams who are quite inconsistent this year, you never quite know what you're going to get from either of them. You know, Ian Archo's playing, probably, possibly, if Vardy's injured. Um, that's a problem for us. So I would be tempted to pick 11 defenders, drop all our attackers and get all 11 defenders to man-mark Ian Archo to just stop the man. Whatever he is about, he's Villa's kryptonite for some reason. Um, but if Gerard isn't listening to this and doesn't listen to my tactical advice um, and goes with a, the traditional formation, I agree with what you said, Tom. You know, Nakamba coming back in, I think I would like to see that if he's fit and capable of, of doing so, at least for an hour or so. Um, and then the left back, Dinia, yeah, it's um, it's a bit of a it's a bit of a problem if he is out. I mean, Ashley Young, uh, he. I love him and um, God and all the gods bless him. But, uh, you know, he's he's got a moment in, in, in him in every game at left back where uh, uh, an opposition, a fat, quick, pacey wing is going to get at him and create something at some point. So that's a problem position for us, I think, against Leicester. Um, but, you know, primarily target Madison. He's been in absolutely fantastic form, I think, in recent months. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, I think... Get the two strikers starting, uh, Ings and Watkins. I think I'd like to see that again, um, even if it doesn't work. And um, I think Coutinho, he's not been great away from home for Villa, but I think this is a game where there might be more space for him. So I think this this fixture might suit Coutinho um, somewhat. So, um, so yeah, I uh, that's probably where where I would go. I'd like to see Nakamba coming back in and shoring up the midfield. And uh, as you say earlier, um, Cole, it is hilarious that we see Nakamba, Mar- the marvellous one, as this sort of prodigal son who we've been missing all this time. But, you know, I think hopefully he can make something of a difference. Um, and, you know, looking at the summer, not just CDM, I think central defence might be somewhere we're looking to improve as well. Uh, shoring us up even more defensively, but but yeah, um, that's how I'd go for the Leicester game. We've had, we're talking of uh, sort of heroes and prodigal sons. We've had about four, haven't we, this year? Like, <laughs> yeah. Uh, Leon, Buendia, Leon Bailey has definitely <laughs> been one. Um, yeah. You know, no, Coutinho, obviously. Yeah. And now it's, uh, now it's Marv, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully we uh, don't need to go through as many next year. Well, they all need statues. That, that's for sure. Um, sure yeah. I, I don't know where you put them in Birmingham, but uh, they'll need statues <laughs> at one point. But the one thing I can guarantee to all Villa fans right now is there's going to be at least three tactical fouls by Ashley Young if he's starting um, oh, yeah. with a yellow card guaranteed and also probably a little bit of a dust up with somebody at some point. Um, Madison's, my money's on Madison. Yeah, yeah. I, I would love to see what happens there. But uh I don't know. I guess, I don't know. Do you like my bracelets versus am I, I'm going to punch you in the face? I, I guess that's <laughs> maybe the two kind of different uh, handbag scenarios you could have. But uh, regardless of that, I, I guess we can uh, actually, you know what, before we wrap things up, I just thought of a question. It's a quick one. Um, and uh, maybe it's a little bit more of an optimistic point of view, of course, looking back to the youth setup. So Frankie, mm. I'll, I'll put you under fire first is, is there one player more than any in particular from Villa's youth setup that you're most excited about? Ooh, um, there's a lot of them I'm excited about. Actually. I think this is a uniquely talented youth team. I mean, traditionally, look, not many players make it from the youth team, no matter how good they are at youth level. It's very rare that you get more than one or two that come through. But I do think we've made, we've really succeeded in our youth approach in recent years. And I think we have signed some of the best in the country. Um, so there's a few players that stick out to me, you know, Josh Feeney, um, you know, uh, Irobinum, I guess, in uh, in sense mid. But, you know, I'll, the three players who I'm happy with 
in recent weeks is I think Louis Barry's come on at Swindon in recent weeks, which is a positive sign after the struggles he had at Ipswich, probably through no fault of his own, whatever the situation was there. Kane Kessler-Hayden, he's the one I think who sticks out to me as someone who's going to definitely get game time if he's a villain next season and not on loan. And I think Matty Cash signing his contract was a good thing that Cash can be the main man. But if we need it, Kane Kessler can come in, get game time, play. And maybe even, you know, let's Cash could go further forward and Kessler behind him or vice versa. So that side of the pitch next season, I think, could be good with Kane Kessler-Hayden. And, um, he's, it, the two teams he's played for, MK Dons and Swindon, the fans have loved him um, by all accounts. Um, and then other than that, obviously Cameron Archer, Sticks out like a sore thumb, doesn't he, with all the goals he's got at Preston. Can he make the step up to the Premier League? It's a it's a big step. Um, I think he can certainly get goals in the Premier League um, with that fantastic header he got, got against Chelsea earlier this year. But I think if anyone's going to stick out to me, I think it might be right at this moment in time. I think I'm tempted by Archer, but I think Kane Kessler-Hayden might be the one. Yeah, it, it, is, it is a tough one. Um, I just honestly, I can't remember being so excited about so many Villa yeah, youth team players. Exactly. And of course, you have Keenan Davis, of course, just um, being a shining light, showing what maybe we're, well, I don't know if we're really missing it, to be honest. And maybe he's probably found his level more so than anything. Um, I don't know with him. I don't know if this is a humorous thing, but uh, I don't know. When I look at him, I almost feel like the end of, I can't remember which Fast and Furious it was with the whole Paul Walker tribute with the, like, it's been a long day without you, my friend. And every time I see Keenan Davis do well now, it's like, I don't know. It warms my heart. It just, I, yeah, it's it like, yeah. oh, I just want to give a cuddle. Um, I, yeah. I don't think he'd appreciate that. I might find it creepy. So sorry, <laughs> Keenan, if you're listening to this, but uh, Tom, take it away. Cause I don't know what I'm saying anymore. It is great to see Keenan doing so well, isn't it? Like he's, he's a very, he's a sort of a uniquely popular figure, I think. It's not many, mm. you don't get many players who have so decisively sort of, no offense to him, have so decisively not made it as a regular player for your club, mm. but that you hold such an aff- affection for. Just something about him, you should love seeing him do well. And mm. I think, I don't really think that he's, I'd be really surprised if he is part of our squad next season. Mm. Um, I think like he could be if they wanted to go that way, but it would be dependent, I think, on in the eventuality that we lose either Watkins or Ings and we don't bring in a top level first choice striker, then maybe it's a conversation, but I think it's more likely that he either goes to Forest permanently or if Forest don't go up, I could definitely see a promoted side taking a punt on Keenan Davis. Yeah. Um, yeah it's hard. I, I, I agree. I, you know, the big two really, I think uh, from this season and their performances are Archer and, and Kessler Hayden. Um Again, it depends what happens with the striker situation, but I very much hope that Cam Archer is part of our first team squad ne- next year because it's what we were talking about earlier with Ramsey. Like you want players who are going to make you really feel something for the team and are going to get you off your seat. And Archer is definitely one of those. And it's mm. I, I understand the reservation, of course, about making the step up um, from Championship to Premier League level. Um, but the thing is with Archer is he's not one of these who's completely untested at the high level. Like we mentioned yeah. his goal, uh, Stamford Bridge. He came on, he, I'm, I'm, he came on for a few games, not for very long, but I remember he came on at Old Trafford. Uh, I think he was on the pitch when we scored the winner, I think at United um, yeah. in the first half of the season, you know, obviously Barrow, a low level opposition, but he's had that, it was for, you know, he's had that experience of playing and scoring goals for the first team already. So mm. it's not, you can't really equate it to a, to somebody who's never been tested for the first team and has done well at the championship. Like he does have a bit of a head start in that regard. I'd love to see him involved as the third striker next year, playing, yeah. starting cup games, getting decent chunks of of games off the bench as and when needed and as and when deemed suitable. You know, Kesler Hayden, I'll be absolutely stunned if he's not our second choice right back next year. And wow. I think my my you know it's one of my predictions for next year is that. Matty Cash is at some point going to get injured or suspended, just the way it goes. I think that as and when Kesler Hayden steps in for us next season, even though even the fans who have followed him during his loan spells and seen the acclaim that he's got on the performances, I think even those fans will be surprised at how well he slots in next year. Yeah. I really do. I don't want to put too much expectation on him. And like if he makes the odd mistake or whatever, it's going to be down to playing at a higher level and inexperience. But he just seems to have, from everything we've seen and heard this year, seems to have all the attributes, both in terms of on-field ability and mental 
you know mental commitment commitment to the game and seems to be a very calm and collected customer like i think he'll slot in very nicely as a rotation option next year and it's gonna it's exciting to see Mm. um but it's just it's it's fantastic i never had a season like this and it's been good considering how sort of much of a sort of a wet sponge villa season has turned out to be really it's been great to have this sort of like side project of following all of the loanees you know play pages shout out to pages like the villa academy page on twitter who dedicate their time to to mapping out you know all this stuff and keeping us updated on how players are playing because it's been a real thrill honestly to follow like uh, to have loanees dotted in every division you know in the in the football league is a position that certainly i can't remember us ever being in you know we've had we've had standout players haven't we like yeah Gesha Darius Vassells and your Moore brothers and, you know, mm-hmm. standouts in the academy who have made it at least to some extent in the first team, but we've never had this like conveyor belt of talent, you know, like Tim Robinum is a good example. We haven't seen much of him on the pitch, but he wasn't at all on my radar really before, certainly not before the exploits of the youth team at the back end of last season. And I think we all thought, you know, but you look at our midfield, I don't know about Chuck Maker's future, but right now we've got Jacob Ramsey, Carney Chuck Maker, Tim Aropenum. Like we've got three excellent youth players slash prospects just in the midfield area yeah. coming through. It's never been this way before. And it's never. just, it's really, really great to see. And that's one thing going back to earlier, we were talking about the owners and the fact that we are making progress under Gerard despite the frustration. That's a big aspect of it is all the successful clubs do this. They build a real farm system and we you know we didn't like it when it was Chelsea doing it and mm-hmm. shipping people out on loan and that's mm-hmm. a bit different because they'd ship you know 27 year olds out on loan and would never mm-hmm. have any intention of playing them but all the best teams do that they get that conveyor belt turning and we've, we've we're ticking that box um more than we could have hoped for I think right now yeah and I think the important thing as well is to uh, for me at least next season is to go on a cup run as well um, I think when you think of keeping Kessler around and um, Archer, I, I think allowing them to feature against first team opposition in cup matches is just as important. I, I don't know. I, I guess it kind of hedges the risk of throwing them in the deep end in the Premier League when we maybe, I don't know, somehow for somehow fighting in the in the top echelon, upper echelon, I should say, um, next season, which I, of course we all hope for, but um, I'm never going to expect it because it is Villa um, at the end of the day. And I don't want to be too optimistic because we all know what happens there, but um, mm. I don't know. It, it's interesting for me because you do sit back and I think Cameron Archer is the one that I'm of course, probably most exciting, uh, excited for probably for the attacking prowess that he has. And I, I've had the, I guess you could say the argument, the conversation with other Villa fans where they think, and they said the same thing with Ollie Watkins, of course, well, it's a big step up from the championship, of course, to the Premier League. And like Thomas um, so properly said, really, um, we've seen Cameron Archer succeed, of course, against Chelsea, a very good Chelsea side on that day too. Um, I, I think the thing for me is you watch his ball movement, the way that he kind of um, moves off the ball as well too. It's, it's higher class, it's upper echelons, I guess you could say. And I don't think it's bold to say he's ready to start in the Premier League and whether Watkins or Ings is gone in the summer and he becomes the de facto number two, which I still doubt. I feel like there might be movement, but I still think he would be number three. Um, I I don't know. I I think he's one you can't ignore. And um, I really can't think of a striker coming through the youth setup that I've been super excited for, for as long as I can remember. So We'll have to wait and see what and he, happens there. He, even that with Archer as well, like speaks to how good our youth academy is that we all thought it was going to be Louis Barry, didn't we? After yeah. the after the Liverpool Cup game when he scored that excellent goal, we all thought that Louis Barry was going to be the you know third choice striker and he was next on the line. And well, then, that was the know, Barcelona thing more than anything. That's yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Masia's finest, yeah. Um, but then it just goes to show, right? Like, okay, it's a shame that Barry had a bit of that setback with the lone Ipswich not working out, but then... Cameron Archer steps up and it's just mm. exciting. Who's it going to be next? You know, it's just, I think we've got in that sense, no matter what happens with the first team, if, you know, if mid table mediocrity continues in the, you know, uh, for the foreseeable future, at least we have, we've got years ahead of us of excitement. Mm. I think of the Academy continuing to produce players who are at least on the fringes of the first team. It's a great position to be in. Yeah. And I, I think the thing though, too, is, I mean, it wasn't nice at the time with the whole COVID outbreak in the first team last season with the FA Cup and having to play, of course, the kids per se. 
um, I think really for Villa fans and especially looking at how the season's going this season, that was probably the biggest blessing in disguise because I don't honestly know how much you would have ever really seen some of these kids ever play. So, um, I mean, you look back at it and you have to kind of reflect. I think that's probably been the biggest benefit that we've seen in the last couple seasons. Um, it, it's very exciting. I mean, who knows? Maybe none of them work out. Maybe one does, maybe five do. We'll have to wait and see, but uh Regardless of that, as frustrating as it is being a Villa fan, and of course, we've kind of went through a bunch of questions um, during this session to hopefully spread some optimism and shed some of that um, dang pessimistic uh, point of view that we all carry because it is Villa at the end of the day. and We know what it can do to us, but uh, hopefully everyone can kind of uh, vent along with us as they've been listening and feel a little bit better about villa and themselves but uh anyways i think that's a good place to wrap things up i'm sure we've been going for well over an hour because as everyone knows on the holt cast we'll say half an hour and it goes for uh, about eternity <laughs> but that that's what we do here but uh nonetheless thank you very much to tom as always for joining me and of course frankie as well but uh frankie before we do wrap things up i should say um if you want to give yourself a little shout out where can people find you Oh, yeah. No, thank you very much for having me on. It's been great chatting to you both about it. And it's great, like, therapy session in a way, isn't it? You know, getting Villa out of the system. Um, if you want to follow All Villa, No Filler, we're um, all the main podcast sites, Spotify, Apple, all that. Uh, Villa No Filler on Twitter. We're all we're on Facebook as well. And YouTube. We have a YouTube channel where we do interviews with different reporters and sometimes do uh, reviews as well. So, yep, just search All Villa No Filler and you'll find us. Brilliant. Well, it's been uh, lovely having you on. YouTube is one thing we definitely need to take this podcast to next season, which probably mm. means more work for me. But nonetheless, <laughs> um, I've been here for what, three seasons now. So I'm well uh, used to that. And I have to give a lot of thank yous to Tom as well, because he's definitely helped me out a lot more Um in times where I've been very frustrated. So it's always appreciated, but uh, nonetheless, we'll leave it there. Hopefully everyone has a fantastic week. We should have an opposition match preview, hopefully with the Leicester fan. I'm going to say probably around the Thursday mark, but anyways, we'll leave it there and don't forget up the villa. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.